Our scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 7 to 26 and then verse 39 to 42. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is, asked, that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, 
and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, family. Good to see you. Thanks for choosing to be here on a long holiday weekend when you could be a few other places. But I thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray uh, while they take off from the light, and then we'll get right down to work uh, in the text. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We posture ourselves now as needy kids. We need to hear from you. We need to see you, Jesus, as our hero and rescuing king. Spirit, we need you to awaken our ears so that we can hear our Father's voice and to open our eyes so that we can see our Father and see Jesus for who he is, and really so that we can see our own need as we learn about living water, to be reminded that we are, our our souls need to be satisfied and and they can only be truly satisfied in you. So Father, I pray that you would uh, give us life as we spend time in your word as your kids this morning, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen, amen. So we're pressing through our series in John this morning, the gospel according to John, and as you well know by now, our series theme is Jesus is life. life. All right, good. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Oh, by the way, I meant to compliment you before we started too. Um, probably half the size of our first gathering, like there were at least twice as many of you at the nine, um, so a lot smaller group. During Heart Won't Stop, you guys killed the harmony. That was insane. I just stopped singing to listen to you. Like nine was... All right, but kind of all over the place vocally. You guys nailed it. It sounded so good. And um, if you don't believe me, like there's, we got seats. So uh, before the final set of songs at the end, just come sit next to me or sit down here and you can, you can hear the flood of voices. It was, it, you guys, man, I'm telling you, you really killed it. So Jesus is life. Our big idea for this morning that's going to come from our text is this. Jesus purposefully encounters evasive and excluded rebels. Jesus purposefully encounters evasive and excluded rebels. Just a little overview of what we heard read so that we're all on the same page with what's going on in John 4. Remember last week we left off, there was this thing going on with baptism. Jesus and his followers were baptizing people. John and his people were baptizing uh, people as well. And that kind of sparked a dispute or an argument among John's, John's boys. So that, that kind of kicked us off last week. Well, now it feels like, while John doesn't give us a lot of detail, it feels like the dispute's escalating a little bit. The local religious leaders are tracking that these baptisms are taking place. Probably they feel a little bit threatened, that it's kind of threatening their Jewish expression um, a little bit. And, and whether it was become a, becoming a distraction or whatever, we just don't know. But Jesus makes the decision to leave the area so that it would just, just go away, right? Just let things cool down for a little bit. So John and his boys stay where they are, but Jesus presses north. i got a map here just for you visual learners so you can kind of see how the story unfolds this morning in John 4. We start out down south by Jerusalem, uh, but what we read is that Jesus decides to take his guys all the way north, back up to Galilee, where they had been. Remember when we learned, we explored the story of the wedding and the water turned into wine? That's where all that happened. They went south, and now they're headed back north. And in order to get there, if you're going to take the most direct route, you're going to go through Samaria. 
And it's kind of in the heart of Samaria where we find our story unfold today in the town of Sikar, uh, right there. But just a note, and I kind of tucked this away for later, notice there are, there's one sweeping arrow off to the right and one that kind of goes dead center. If you're concerned about time, you're going you're gonna, to, um, well, back when I was a kid, uh, you know, trying to take leave and stuff in the States, you'd print out your MapQuest sheets or whatever. Nobody in here has ever used MapQuest, have you? Anyway, so this is MapQuest printed out, and the direct route is just straight up through Samaria. But guys, like, um, tensions between the the inhabitants of Samaria and the Jewish people uh, were so high, we'll get into this in a minute, that very often they would take that sweeping route off to the side. They'd cross the river, punch north, and then when they were far enough north, they'd punch back across. So anyway, Jesus and the gang, they go north, but they take that direct route right through the heart of Samaria, and... Um, Jesus is tired, so he remains at a well, Jacob's well in Sakar, while his boys go to town to grab the Chick-fil-A and bring it back, right? They got to get the, the Jesus chicken, so they bring it back to Jesus, and while he's gone, I'm mocking that, by the way, I don't like Chick-fil-A, um, and while he's gone, this woman from Samaria comes to the well at a very unusual hour. You would never go at noon uh, in the heat of the day, and you would never go alone as a woman, and so they enter into this really soulful conversation. The disciples come back. There's an awkward moment. She goes into town. She tells everybody what just happened. All the townspeople come back out to Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is having a heart-to-heart with his boys who once again are just not tracking what's going on. And then the townspeople arrive, and we kind of get a summary of the story at that point. So that's kind of the big picture of John 4. You've got the map, so in your brain, you kind of know where our story unfolds. And our big idea, Jesus purposefully encounters evasive and excluded rebels. That's our big idea for this morning. And so you're like, John, um, help me out. I don't really understand the evasive part or the excluded part. What what are we talking about? Well, let let me show you. This is a story about an excluded person, right? The, the, the woman at the well in Samaria is a story about an excluded person. And, and we see that in verse 6 and verse 7. In verse 6, we get this key phrase where Jesus is sitting beside a well. And this isn't just a random detail. It's important to the story. It was about the sixth hour. So Jewish reckoning of time started at 6 a.m., because they were more godly and anything prior to six is like, why even put that on the clock? So it just starts at six, and then the sixth hour is noon, okay? So it's, it's, it's lunchtime, it's noon. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria. We just stop right there. Like those, those words are written in that way by John to let us know this is a story about an excluded person who is so far removed from community and people who care for her. Like normal everyday life for everybody else is happening here and she's way over there off in the distance. You can barely see her for a couple reasons. First of all, and don't be offended at this, but culturally the way he starts out, she's a woman, right? A a woman. So culturally in those days uh, for Jewish persons, so Jesus is a rabbi, right? So for a good upstanding rabbi, he would never be seen in public with a woman. He would not have a one-on-one conversation with a woman for a lot of reasons, but for one of those reasons just being to avoid the perception that something was amiss or that there was a relationship that was inappropriate. So this uh, this was a hard and fast rule that was 
uh, a big deal. So she's, she's a woman. She's a woman. But she's not just a woman. She's a woman from Samaria. And if she wasn't already excluded enough just for being a woman in that day and age, now she's really excluded because she's a Samaritan woman. So just so you know, guys, there were, the, the tensions were so high between Jewish people and Samaritans. They were racial tensions. They were religious tensions. They were political tensions. Like if there was a tension that could be, they even argued about COVID like 2,000 years ago, like <laughs> different positions on the vaccine. Like every possible way you could have a tension, there was, there was a tension. It sounds crazy, but just like there were rules for Jewish rabbis and Jewish men as to how they could relate with women in public. In fact, the rules were so strict that normally a rabbi would not even be seen in public with, his, with anyone other than his wife. So a daughter or a sister, you're not going to Starbucks with your daughter. You're not going to take your sister out for lunch, like your wife only. But now because she's a Samaritan, I know this will sound a little crazy, but like there was no contact between the two people groups. So one of the laws actually stated, uh, like this was written into legal code, guys, that Samaritan women uh, menstruated from birth, which put them in this kind of ceremonially, ceremonially religious, unclean category from cradle to grave. And what that accomplished was to codify law so that a Jewish man could not ever have any interaction with a Samaritan woman. Okay, so John is signaling excluded person here in every possible way. Uh, we might have a hard time wrapping our heads around that now in our generation, though we don't have to think back too far. I mean, we could just say, look, imagine a black man in the Jim Crow South in the 60s trying to get table service in a whites-only restaurant. Okay, that's the same kind of tool that John is using in a literary way to say this is an impossible scenario with no good outcome. She's thoroughly excluded. She's like the one person in Scripture, all of Scripture, that, that we would see, that readers of Scripture would read of and be like, she has no business being in this book unless she's being portrayed as an enemy or, or like the height of immorality, beyond rescue, okay? So excluded woman. What about the evasive piece? Well, we read that she was coming to the, to the well at noon. Um, first of all, you'd never go to the well at noon because Okinawa, right? Like you love to run, right? How many of you runners who actually like running, I like running, how many of you actually love running at noon and run at noon? Like you do your seven, eight, nine, ten miles at noon in Okinawa. No one, thank Like nobody, unless like they're either in counseling or they need to refer to it. You're not, you don't run at noon. It's not safe physically, though it is fun. I like, I do like running at noon. Um, you don't go to the well at noon because you got to carry your jars, you got to fill them with water, and then you got to hump them back to town. Like you just, you're not doing that at noon. So the ladies would go as a group in the morning while the day was still cool or maybe in the evening. So we know she's not only excluded, we know she's evasive. She's evading community. So in other words, her exclusion has so formed her psyche. It's formed who she is, how, how she thinks, um, how she acts, and what we're going to see in conversation it even shapes the way that she interacts with Jesus. But she goes to the well at noon precisely because she's avoiding people. She's staying away from people. The people want her to stay away, but she's at the point in life now where she's so excluded, it's so impacted her soul that she also wants to stay away. She is an evasive uh, person. But guys, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus purposefully encounters excluded 
and evading or evasive rebels. Check this out, verse 7. She comes to draw water, and Jesus says to her, hey, uh, could you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And now notice, we're going to watch this woman evade, 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 and stiff-arm Jesus all the way through this conversation. Six different ways. Here she goes. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They could travel through Samaria, but they were not supposed to have any human contact. I mean, the Samaritans had their own water fountains and restrooms, and the Jews had their own water fountains and restrooms. That's the, the, the extent of what's going on, right? It's not, it's not new. Um, that, that is the height of this racial tension that was going on even then. So Emma and I were thinking this week about some examples. I mean, what would it look like for a group of people to be so excluded? And um, um, she was up to speed. I was not, but she, she'd watched The Greatest Showman a couple years ago. And so she invited me to watch The Greatest Showman with her. And so, you know, it's the story of Barnum and the circus and all of that. And there's a key character. I'm sorry, it's kind of hard to see, but she's dead center in the purple dress. I believe her name is Letty Luntz, I think. Let's go with Letty. And um, she, she's the bearded lady who kind of becomes, and it's ironic, right? The bearded lady becomes the face of this crew. And they are known as nothing but a freak show. Why? Because they are a collection of excluded people who are mocked and ridiculed by normal, everyday people. They're thoroughly excluded. And uh, in the song that she kind of stars in, the opening lines go like this. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want to see your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. Guys, those were her words for her song, but I mean, and it's in a movie, but listen, those were the words. If the Samaritan woman sang any songs, she was singing songs like that. That's, that's what John wants us to feel. She's so far excluded. She's so far gone. She's so unloved. She's so messed up. There's no hope for her. And so that's what she says to Jesus. She doesn't know who he is yet, just a, a Jewish man. And she says, so she just shuts it down. That's her first evasive method with Jesus. She just shuts the conversation right down. Some of you have done that. You just shut things right down with religion or God or Jesus. You just shut it down. Um, deep down, you don't want it to be shut down, but uh, that's what you've come to learn to do. You shut it, you shut it down. And Jesus presses through this first evasion and he just looks at her and he says, look, uh, lady, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you. Now, this will be important later on. Notice the tenses there. He's saying you would have asked, asked and um, yeah, if you, if you had known, you would have asked and what? He would have given you, but she wasn't asking. But notice the kindness of Jesus. Where is he anyway? He's, she hasn't asked. She doesn't even know to ask, but here she is, or here he is, in conversation with her. Uh, living water. Living water. Did a little word search this week. That's actually the first instance of LaCroix in our vocabulary right there is living water. In my house, we call, we call living water spicy water. That's what my four-year-old calls it. It's spicy water. And... Um, you know, obviously I, I'm jesting, but the difference is like she's, she's, she's drawing water from a well that's not moving, right? So it's stagnant. There's no life to it. It maybe not even tastes the great. It's just, but Jesus is kind of comparing that water to stagnant water in a, in a body of water that's not moving. 
And he says, I give the true and better water. We can call it a living water because it, sa- it actually truly satisfies you. See, this is going to kind of uh, unpack in the conversation. Um, in verse 11, the, w- the woman says, so here she goes. She's going to evade again. She says, yeah, but you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water from? Like, are you better than Jacob? So Jacob's the guy that built the well. So now she's gone from um, shutting the conversation down to just invoking like straight up snark. Like she's being sarcastic with Jesus. Like, who do you think you are? Like you're better than Jacob, the dude who built this thing. You don't have a shovel. You don't have a bucket. Where are you going to get this living water from? Right? Just straight snark, straight sarcasm. And Jesus pushes through that evasion and says to her, Listen, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So guys, she doesn't know it yet because she's stuck on the physical material water, but Jesus is getting at a larger point where he's saying, look, your soul is thirsty. Your soul has not been satisfied in this lifetime. Your your life is a wreck. He's going to get to that in a minute too. Um, and he's using this water to signal to her that, look, you have to take a trip out to this well every day, don't you? And you're going to draw water and you're going to drink it and tomorrow you're going to be thirsty again. Listen, guys, when we live life apart from Jesus, we look for satisfaction for our souls in a million different wells. They temporarily satisfy your thirst. They, They do. They quench your thirst for a day. And then where do you have to go the very next morning? After you've wrestled all night with guilt and shame, where do you go the next morning? Right back to the same well. Satisfies your thirst. The next morning you're thirsty again. And that cycle destroys you over time. And Jesus is saying, obviously it's not clear yet, it's just kind of in seed form for her, but the only way your soul will be satisfied is to drink from the water that Jesus himself gives. And we don't have to guess at at what that water is. If you flip a page, it'll be on the screen for you, but John 7, Jesus makes it very clear what he's talking about when he talks about living water. Here it is, John 7, uh, verses 37 through 39. It says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of, here it is again, living water. Now this he said about who? Spirit. Like the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is the living water that Jesus is talking about. And he says, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So if you have believed in Jesus, the living water that he's talking about that satisfies your soul is the presence of the Spirit with you. Apart from the Spirit, your soul will never know satisfaction in this lifetime. So the living water is the Spirit. The woman of AIDS again, verse 15. This is maybe cynicism now, maybe still sarcasm, some snark. She said, she's just playing along because she doesn't believe in verse 15. She says, all right, give me some. But she just told him, you have no ability to get water. You don't have any water. But now she's like, oh, yeah, all right, that sounds good. Give me some living water. Like, this isn't straight up New York, New Jersey right now. She's just like saying what she's thinking, but she doesn't mean it, right? I don't want to be thirsty. I don't want to have to come here at noon every day to draw water. So you have living water? Give me some. I'll take a swig. But she's really, I think she's just really mocking him at this point. So Jesus does what he always does as our rescuing king. He pushes through another attempt at our evasive work. He pushes through another layer of her disbelief. And he gets, while she's trying to stiff arm and pushes, pushing him away, he sidesteps the stiff arm and steps one, takes one step closer to her heart. Because now he leaves water behind and he 
going to talk about her husband. He says, hey, listen, I want you to, uh, why don't you go get your husband and tell him to come here. We'll talk about living water together. Well, she evades again. The woman answered and says, I don't, I don't have a husband. So now her evasive technique, we're very familiar with this technique. You could call this story time or what I prefer is like social media filtering. Um, what she's doing is portraying her life with all the filters she can use to make it look and sound better than it actually is. I don't have a husband. Uh, not really. Jesus says, you've had five and you're living with a dude right now and he's not, you're just shacking up now. So six, five and a half-ish. That's not true. And guys, can, let me just point this out, okay? Because too often we come away from the story like, man, she's, she's jacked up. Like, just, she's, she's loose and just getting around. And while that may be true, let me just explain one thing. In that day and age, every single divorce law that was on the books was written to favor the man. Um, we know from Scripture, and the Jewish people knew it, the Samaritan people knew it, God hates divorce. God allows divorce, he says, because of the hardness of our heart. So there are some of you in this room who have been divorced, and there are legitimate reasons because of the hardness of our hearts or your spouse's heart for divorce to occur. Um, but in that day and age, to protect against it, they, they wrote all the laws in favor of the dude. So you burn the toast, you don't do the laundry, whatever it is, you don't satisfy your husband, there were moral grounds upon which you could get divorced and it wasn't sinful. There was no out for that really for the woman. So guys, we have to be really careful. Does she bear responsibility? Probably the way the story is being told, yes. We always have some culpability in our rebellion, right? Um, or a lot of culpability. But there's another layer to this. If she's been divorced that many times, undoubtedly some of those men have taken advantage of her and wounded her profoundly. So it's not just that she's a rebelling person. She's a deeply wounded person who's been scarred by other rebels who have not loved God or loved her. She's hurt. She's hurting. And so this conversation just got really personal. She's holding back the tear. She's probably responding a little bit of fight or flight, so probably anger right now. And so she evades again. The woman says to him, verse 19, look at, look at what she does. This is definitely an evasive maneuver. Oh, I perceive you're a prophet, right? Like, okay, you just, like, why? okay, there's something special about you. You, you, you somehow know that I've had, um, you, you know all these details about my life. Um, so she, what she's doing is she's, she's shifting the focus off of herself and onto Jesus. Notice what she did? It's not about her right now. Oh, you must be a prophet. So tell me if you're a prophet. And now what does she do? This doesn't fit at all. We're talking about living water and her marriages and divorces and abuses and her wounds. And she now wants to talk about where the temple should be built and where people should worship God. Where does that even come from? Good thing we don't do stuff like that. We find all kinds of stuff to argue about. Like we build all these walls, all these fences. As long as the conversation doesn't penetrate my heart, as long as it doesn't expose my rebellion, as long as I'm not in an uncomfortable place where my wounds are being exposed, right? So that's what she's doing. So I see you're a prophet. So uh, you're a Jewish prophet. So you know there's a debate. Jews believe the temple should be in Jerusalem. Samaritans believe the temple should be in Samar uh, Samaria. 
Uh, the Jews had um, all of their proof texts from the Pentateuch and the prophets and the historical books. Uh, for the record, Samaritans rejected all of those scriptures except for the Pentateuch. They only rolled with the first five scrolls, okay? And so they made a case for Samaria. And, but notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't get sucked into that argument. He says, no, listen, there's a time coming, and it's actually here now. I'm, I'm ushering it in, where the location of worship's not going to matter anymore. Not going to matter. What matters is, and what my father's looking for, is he's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Well, we only have to flash back a couple weeks for the spirit part, right? We learned that we were dead and we cannot worship the Father unless the Spirit brings us to life, right? So uh, he's looking for those who have been born again by the Spirit, who worship him from sincerity of heart with the Spirit present, and truth being Jesus, this was last week, we're living the Truman Show, Jesus descends to give us the truth and exposes the dome of our rebellion, if you will, and, and now we worship the Father, according to the truth that Jesus has brought us. We see ourselves for who we are. We see the Father for who he is. So Jesus addresses her worship question, but he's not bogged down into the debate. He says it's going to change, and I'm, I'm the one that's going to change it. But look, he, he, he still presses back. And then look at this, a little more evasion from the woman. She tries one more time. Uh, we can call this one stalling or I'll get with it tomorrow. Like I'll deal with this tomorrow. Look at what she says, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. Like he'll settle all this. He'll deal with like, oh, I don't know about the temple answer you just gave me. Like when the Messiah comes, he'll settle the debate. Um, so nice chat. Um, I'm going home. And when the Messiah comes, he'll settle all the disputes that we have, right? Nice to meet you. I'm glad I will never see you again, is basically what's going on. And what does Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. He looks her in the eye and says, you can't wait till tomorrow. We're not stalling. I'm your rescuing king. And I'm here for your good and for your rescue. I'm here to give you the living water you've never asked for, um, we're not going to wait till tomorrow. We're going to deal with this today. And Jesus is communicating this in all tenderness and kindness. Um, and just then, all of his guys show up. Now, mind you, they're 18 to 24, and they're awkward. And you see what the text says? They're appalled that Jesus is talking to a woman, but they don't say anything. So you can feel the scene, right? They roll back with Chick-fil-A. They're, they roll up on Jesus and he's talking to a woman and they're just staring. That's all they do. Awkward, 18, I remember that life stage. I think I'm still in that life stage, right? You want to say something, but you don't. They just stare. And in that awkward silence, what does she do? Like, I'm out of here. I'm definitely out of here now. And so she leaves, but she drops her water jar, which is going to become hugely symbolic for us, guys. Why? Because Jesus has just finished telling her, if you drink the water that I give you, you're never going to be thirsty again. It's just a beautiful piece of the story where symbolically that jar is no longer going to be needed. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So the woman leaves. She runs back into town. And what does John say that she does? She, um, let's see, we're in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, yo, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, why is she asking if this man who told her everything she did could be the, could be the Christ? 
Why is she asking that? Because listen, guys, there have been plenty of men in her life who have told her everything she had done wrong. She had five previous men who no doubt told her not just the stuff that she had done was wrong, but told her she was wrong. You're broken. You're irreparably broken. I wish I had never married you. You're the problem. I just need a better wife, right? She's bearing, she's had a ton of men in her life throw all of her garbage in her face and beat her down. For the first time in her life, she has experienced a man who knows everything about her and has told her all of these things. But whereas other men, other people in the past have, have told her everything about her for her harm, Jesus has invoked her past for her, her healing. Where other people have invoked her past to crush her, Jesus has invoked her past to show her kindness. Where other people have invoked her past to reject her and exclude her, Jesus has invoked her past to rescue and redeem and include her. That's why she knows and feels and believes this is somebody radically different. This has got to be the Christ. She tells him her story. And what, what happens after she tells her story? People swarm out of the town to see this one, right? So what, what's going on there, guys? Her story is a bridge that a bunch of unbelieving people can walk over to have their own encounter with Jesus. Guys, this is significant for us. Your, your Jesus story, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, is absolutely sacred and absolutely essential, and it must be told. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the, re, the rehearsing of our story personally is good for me, but the retelling of my story is good for you. So she's retelling her story. It's good for them. It serves as a bridge where these people who don't know Jesus and have, don't have their own personal encounter can actually meet him, the one who gives living water. And check this out. Notice what happens. Verse 39. I love this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Why? The woman's story. Uh, and, here, and John kind of gives us the woman's story title, if you will. Her story's titled, He Told Me All That I Ever Did. That's personal to her. What's your story? What's your Jesus story? Guys, do you know why you're in Okinawa? Not because the monitor sent you here. Not because the detailer sent you here. Not because the Marine Corps needs you here. They don't. Not because the Air Force needs you here. They don't. None of us are really needed here. Right? We're all just playing this game. You got orders. Here you are. You're doing your job. You wish you were somewhere else. You're not. Here you are. Um, you're in Okinawa. You hate it. But bear with it, it grows on you. And by about the two and a half year mark, you're going to submit an extension request so that you can be here longer with me because you'll love it by then. But do you know why you're in Okinawa from a gospel perspective, guys? It's not funny. It's true. It's true. Guys, do you know why you're in Okinawa for a, go for a gospel reason? To tell your story. Because your story will serve as the bridge for somebody or multiple people here in this island by which they can cross this bridge and meet the one you're telling a story about and have a life-giving, life-changing, life-altering encounter with Jesus, their soon-to-be rescuing king. Guys, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Now, Jesus is going to build on that, but not with the woman. He's going to, oh, check this out. Let me just show you before I pivot. Hold on. Sorry. So the Samaritans come to him. They want Jesus to stay longer. Uh, verse 41, many more believed because of who now? His word, 
at verse 42. And now look at what they say to the woman. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. There's that bridge again. Now, they're not dismissing her. It sounds negative, but it's a thank you. They're saying, thank you for building the bridge through your story that allowed us to cross this precipice where we didn't even know Jesus is Messiah. We believed in your story. We walked over this bridge and now we've encountered the very one that you encountered. We've heard it straight from his mouth. He's told us everything about our lives just like he did for you. And now he's given us living water and our souls are satisfied. They're thanking her. But guys, our stories aren't ultimate They're ultimately a bridge to serve other people well, but our stories aren't ultimate. The gospel's ultimate. Our stories give a gift as they lead people to the gospel, right? That's the beauty and the intent behind our stories. All right, back to Jesus' boys and their their food. They want Jesus to eat, verse 31. Jesus, in the same way he's used water symbolically to, to give life to this woman, he's about to use food symbolically to teach his boys a lesson. They want him to eat Jesus is like, nah, I'm good. So now they get caught up in an argument like, oh, somebody must have fed Jesus. Why is he letting other people feed him? Like, I thought that's why we were his, that's why we're his followers. What's going on? And so Jesus looks at them and says, listen, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Like, I'm, Jesus says, I'm here to do my father's work. You're here in Okinawa to do the father's work. Verse 35, hey guys, don't you, don't you say, right? You talk about the harvest. I got four months to go, then comes the harvest. Look, listen, I tell you this. Your harvest is here already, verse 35. I want you to lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, you've got to imagine because there's two scenes unfolding. You got Jesus and his boys over here by the well, and you have the Samaritan woman leading all of these people back from the town, back to Jesus. So they're getting closer. Jesus is teaching this little lesson about how they're so caught up in food but they actually should be caught up in doing the will of the Father. Like, this should be priority one. Um, God will take care of the food piece. You serve God by serving people. And Jesus says, I want you to look up. It's harvest season. It wasn't quite harvest season yet, so I'm sure they're like, what, what is he talking about? And as they lift their eyes, here are all the townspeople walking out of Sakaar uh, back over to Jesus. And Jesus, invoking this harvest imagery, is like, look... In a harvest, some people have sown seeds and some people harvest the, you know, harvest the crop. You guys were in town getting food while I was sowing the seed. You're back now. Look at the harvest that's coming. You're going to play an equally important role and you're going to harvest, if you will. You're going to relationally engage with these people as they come out to me. Guys, that's, again, the beauty of life here in Okinawa. There have been so many gospel seeds sown into the hearts and lives of other people who are not yet, they have not yet crossed the bridge. So some of the work of, of the harvest has already been done. And now the Father brings you here, and you will have the privilege to roll in behind another Christian who has lived to love God and love people, and the Father's going to give you the gift of loving and leading those people the rest of the way across the bridge so that they too can have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Now, we can't do exactly what Jesus did with his guys. You can lift up your eyes all you want, but you're going to be staring at this pallet wall or a gray wall or a parking lot. But I would invite you, if you just close your eyes and imagine where you live or where you work, Jesus would be having the same conversation with us right now. That is the harvest in which he has placed you. You got orders to Okinawa for the good of the people in your workspaces and in your neighborhood. That's why we're here, guys. It's a privilege, just like Jesus was explaining to his followers. Okay, we got to start wrapping this up. 
So that's John chapter 4, the woman of Samaria at the well with Jesus. Um, let, let's wrap it up this way. Um, what are you binge watching on Netflix right now that you feel safe admitting in church? And if you don't, why are you binge watching it? I'm just kidding. I know you're, you're binge watching Outer Banks, right? You're binge watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> Anybody else? You don't want to admit in public. It's all right. Here's the danger with any narrative in Scripture. Here's the danger. We read it, and we're like, oh, it's a good story. Like, I wonder if that's part of a series. Like, maybe we can binge watch some of these things. But we treat it like a show, and we stay at arm's length. We stay in a safe place. Because we can, or maybe you treat it more like, because we're in, we're in, unfortunately, we're in Hallmark, like, Hallmark pre-Christmas, Christmas series time now, because it's October. And so you approach it like it's this Hallmark movie, and you're like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, like, look at this broken woman. Aw, aw, like she's so far from God. I'm so glad I'm not that far from God. That's, that's crazy. But look how, look how nice God is. Like he sent Jesus, he covered all that ground, he went to the excluded person. I can't believe the way that she evaded him after he came. Like, unbelievable. But that's the gospel and she made it into the family. What a beautiful story. We should watch that again. Guys, we do that with the Bible all the time. But it's not a show to be binge-watched. It's a mirror to be held up in front of my face. And if we will hold that mirror up, we will see our place in the story. It becomes crystal clear. Jesus is always the hero. And if there's a hero in the story, the point is that that hero points to Jesus, and Jesus is always the truer and better version of that hero. So we cannot insert ourselves as hero into any of these stories. So we hold the mirror up, and whose reflection is looking us back in the face? Well, it's Letty, the bearded lady, the woman at the well in Samaria, and family, you are the bearded lady. I am the bearded lady. You are the woman at the well. I am the woman at the well. I am the excluded person. I am the person who has evaded Jesus for most of my life. Why am I excluded? I'm excluded because of my rebellion. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, right? There is a dividing wall of hostility. My rebellion has put me far away from the Father. I'm so excluded, I can't get my way back. I am the excluded one. But I'm not just excluded, I'm also the evading one. In all the ways that she evaded, she didn't ask for a drink. She, used, she invoked sarcasm and snark and cynicism. She shut it down. She shifted. She shifted the focus. She stalled for tomorrow. Yo, let me ask a question. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Guys, the reality is most of us in this room, unlike the Samaritan women, do already know who Jesus is. And most of us in this room, unlike the Samaritan woman, already know the beauty of the gift that he gives. We know that the Spirit actually does satisfy now let me ask this, how many times this week did we actually ask Jesus to satisfy our souls versus going out to find satisfaction for my soul myself? I opened my journal halfway through the week. Um, I had a very, I had a very like, weighty personal thing happen, I think last Sunday morning, just um, um, in my family. And so I had journaled about that and just how it was impacting me. But then I flipped to Monday, blank page. I flipped to Tuesday, 
blank page. I flipped to Wednesday, blank page. And so now I'm on Thursday. And I know if my pages are blank, I've not asked the Father for life. Why? And how can I think I'm anybody but the Samaritan woman, guys? Guys, we're the Samaritan woman. Back to the lyrics from that song, just to, to kind of close Letty's song. Um, we know that Jesus purposefully encountered us. Look at what she's saying. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Neither are we. But you know what? Neither is Jesus. Because in his purposeful encounter of us, he runs into the dark to bring you into the light. Uh, bring it back up. Um, our, uh, we're told, hide away. We don't want to see your broken parts. We have learned, whether you are religious or irreligious, to live that way. The Father runs into the dark, and rather than crushing us by invoking our past, He invokes our past to, to show us kindness and to heal us. We've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Jesus went to the cross and was broken. He took our scars in our place, and by His wounds we are healed. They tell us to run away. Our hearts tell us to run away. Dude, we, are, we, we, we run away. Some of you think you've, uh, you, some of you have been to Sears School, right? And you think you're super tough because you've been to Sears School, the school where you learn to like evade and resist and all these cool things. You're not that cool. Everybody goes to that school. Um, but you know what school you did go to? Your soul went to the school that teaches you how to evade Jesus and you have masterfully evaded Him through most of your life. But nonetheless, Jesus, your rescuing King, purposefully encounters you in your evasion and rebellion. I'll, I'll close with this. i got to stop. I really have to stop. Verse 4. You're like, John, I don't see the purposeful encounter part. Verse 4 says, look at this, first couple words. It says, He had to pass through Samaria. Remember the map I showed you earlier? He didn't have to pass through Samaria. In fact, a reputable Jewish rabbi would have gone around Samaria and would have never interacted with this woman. So it's a different reason why Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The reason wasn't the shortcut. The reason wasn't kilometers. The reason was the woman at the well. That's why Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Guys, we are the woman at the well. And in this, the same love that compelled Jesus to go through Samaria, compelled Jesus to go to the cross on your behalf. Jesus purposefully encountered you in your rebellion and your exclusion and all your evasive maneuvering and stepped to your heart and brought you in close and gave you living water so that your soul could be satisfied. And even now, as rescued kids, where we go Monday through Thursday without asking for that life, who's still present? Who's still pouring out his kindness even when we don't ask for it? Guys, the gospel is incredibly good news for us, especially when we are willing to hold the mirror up and we see that we are the bearded lady. We are the woman at the well looking back so excluded, so far away. But Jesus goes to every rebel and where others would work to crush you and exclude you, he would work to show kindness and include you through his sacrifice. I'm going to pray. Grant's going to come and lead us in a response um, in song and in communion. But let's thank our Father for his kindness to us. Father, help us to hold that mirror up well. Uh, Spirit, please open our eyes so we would see the truth about ourselves no pretending, no fake heroes in here. We are the woman at the well. So far excluded and so good at evading you, Jesus. But you are better 
at rescuing rebels than rebels are at evading you. And God, there are people in this room evading you right now. But in the next couple of moments, Father, I pray that they would know the presence of Jesus, our rescuing King, and that we would know the presence of your Spirit in such a meaningful way. That in your kindness, they would finally run out of the desire to evade. They would finally run out of excuses. They would finally run out of stalling until tomorrow. And Father, may we be like the woman at the well, finally seeing Jesus for who He is and allowing our water jar to just slip to the ground and crash and drain out because we don't need those substitutes anymore. Our souls don't need to be satisfied by any created thing. Because Jesus, in your kindness, you give us the Spirit and you fully satisfy every desire in our souls. Jesus, for those who are in here wounded and broken, like the Samaritan woman was wounded and broken, beneath her hard exterior was just a ton of pain. And Father, there are people in this room who are hiding pain. So much pain. God, help them to see Jesus as the one who does not crush people in their pain. Jesus is the one who shows the greatest kindness in our pain. And may today be the beginning of the rest of their lives where they begin drinking this living water. And daily, a little bit at a time, the pain is healed, the hope is restored, the life is given and reborn. Father, there are people in this room who need your gentle, kind touch. We pray that you would give it this morning.